equipment that you have, what can you do now? The on command. Yeah. And yeah. then what are those things that you would like to do that you don't feel like you can? And what, what can bridge the gap from what you want now mm-hmm. to what you're capable of in the future? Like now and what I want. Because I think a lot of people would be surprised to know they can do a lot with what they have. Yes. And understanding, well, what are the parameters? And then if somebody says, oh, I want to hit a mile you know what they need to do. Yes, yeah. Are they capable? But they don't know what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Or I want to go on an expensive elk hunt or I want to travel to Tajikistan and shoot a goat. What do I need to do? Okay, now we need to figure out where you are. Yes. And and, and can you do what you want and how do we wrap your head around those sets of goals? I, I think that's a cool conversation in of itself because it brings in all... Well, it's 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 knowing your limits because some people talk like that way. So you, you want to know your limitations or know your limits. But at the same time, there's a whole bunch of people that don't know what their limits are, what they can do given the equipment because they read so much information that's just hitting them from all sides that like, you know, with the Mark and the Fort Morgan classes, he takes guys over on the platform at the benches and shoots them to a mile. If you have a decent 308, you can reach a mile in Colorado. It's not like a crazy big thing where you're not going to make it. If you have a good 6.5, I've seen guys go three out of five at a mile mm-hmm. on our range with a decent 6.5. You know, so it's knowing those limitations. But the thing is, like you're saying, is people don't know because they get, they, they read so much on the internet and people beat down what they can't do. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And then when somebody does something that for us would be like, oh, okay. Then it's like, oh my God, did you see what he did with his, 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 uh, and it's like, yeah. Right. You know, it, it, I mean, like part of the thing with the miles stuff, it was the eye roll doing a 308 to a mile when, when that was a big thing in the, in the, during the wars and the short barrels going to a mile in the Magpul video. But if you look at the numbers, the 308, when it hits the ground at the mile, it's less than 300 feet per second. It's really just all gravity pulling it out of the air. So do you want to turn your 308 into a really bad 9 millimeter at 100 yards? Because what you're asking somebody to do is shoot a really bad 9 millimeter mm-hmm. at somebody at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing with the 308 at a mile. And so there's that expectation in there that yeah you can drop rounds on somebody but what are you really doing one you can't aim it yeah you're just hoping to get a hit right and then two it's like 300 feet per second when it hits and so that won't do anything right that's a paintball yeah Yeah. you know totally so dividing the end result you're looking for whether if we're playing a game like Mm -hmm. the guys that shoot their rim fires to a thousand yards we're playing a game and it's cool to check those boxes. Sometimes I could, I can imagine people wanting to check a box and that's checking a box. Right. But, but effectively using something that that's not going to have the desired result downrange, um, is a completely different conversation. And I think that, that going from what you have and, and, and how you're going to manage that, what you want to accomplish and making sure that those marry up is, is pretty fun. I had somebody recently come with, um, one of the SIG uh, rifles f- for the hunter matches, you know, and, it, and, and he was kind of taking it out of the box, and he says, but but this is a one-hole gun, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know, but when you hear that language, you think, okay, w- let's let's figure out what we can do now, because what we want is clearly mm-hmm. is defined by other yeah. conversations that, that, that aren't really relevant at this point. Let's talk about well, what we got. It brings us back into that like, you know, close, medium, and far, that small, medium, and large we talked about is knowing where you fall into your experience. How far is your, how far does your range go? Mm -hmm. You know, so like knowing what caliber, but it's almost like people don't under, I mean, I'll give you a good example. I took a, I took a class and it was a seminar Mm -hmm. from the Sniper 101 guys, right? He came through town and he was having his hotel sit down at a table and have a seminar. And during that time, 
one of the people there, because there's a lot of Q&A, asked them, what's the barrel life on your 338? And he was like, uh. And it was, it was like a most basic information. And, and so I kind of wrote down for this guy and passed the note in class. You know, your 6 mil is going to be here. Your 6.5 is going to be here. Your 308 is going to be here. Your 338 is going to be here. Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, oh, thanks. And then at that point, you know, the class starts turning towards you <laughs> and not towards the people who are supposed to be. But it, it's there is a lot of people who go out there that are supposed to have high-level knowledge in instructing and getting paid to teach people who don't know like where they're going to tell somebody you know how many rounds can they expect to get out of their rifle and how far can they expect to shoot it mm-hmm. and and usually the information is either way too short or way too far mm-hmm. you know they're normally like that that space is off kind of a crazy amount mm-hmm. you know nobody gets close nobody's like 100 yards different like oh we're only 100 yards off usually it's like Five, six hundred yards between people. Like how far you could shoot it. You know, oh, the 308's only good to 800. Oh, it's good to 1200. Oh, it's good to 15. Oh, but he shot it to a mile. You know, so the, the number's all over the place for people. So when you're asking them to perform on command, the question becomes do they have all the information to do that? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, because yeah. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, a really cool discussion and, it, and it's dynamic because a lot of it does depend on the specific parameters that that person's placed on you know their vision and the parameters that they're kind of working with working with right now um, and then that kind of goes into standards of measure and and kind of wrapping wrapping discussions and concepts into a package that that we can Kind of be speaking similar language. Yes. Like, yes. Are we going to speak in MOA? Are we going to speak in hit percentage? Are we going to speak in what's the context? Well, and that's part of. I mean, that's kind of a good top right there. Is is when you talk about are we 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 continue to speak in MOA? We're all shooting mills. Like every now and then, somebody will come on. That's a tenth. That's here. That's there. But generally speaking, we're all kind of transitioned to mills. When we're out on the range, you go to a PRS event, there's two MOA guys who didn't get the, you know, the memo, and then there's all the, the mill guy. But then when we look at plate size, target size, and all that stuff, we still talk in MOA. Mm-hmm. And we really need to get away from talking MOA. And, and like that one topic you brought up, and it kind of didn't go anywhere, but you were really big on talking about targets in miles per hour. Like wind speed, this is a two mile an hour target. This is a four mile an hour target. And, and I think for what we do, it was a better way of communicating, but it just didn't lend to the natural language for people or it, it hasn't been talked about enough to kind of change the dynamic away from MOA because we all still talk MOA mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, it's foolish to do that. It's hard to it's hard not to go back yes. and forth. Like even when we were shooting and filming, just these last few days, you know, I'd mill, I'll mill the target in tenths. Say, okay, that's a two MOA target. Yes. And and I know, okay, well, that, it's know, a I'm it's a three ten target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a four ten target. So it's two MOA, right, or six ten rather for two MOA. And it's it's easy because point three is one, mm-hmm. right on the nose. It's almost, it's one point zero eight. So 0.3 gives you an inch, or the MOA, or however you want to word it, you can kind of throw it in there. So you can say 0.3 is one, you know, 0.6 is two. We can talk in mils and say that's 0.3, that's a 0.6. You know, that's a 0.9, and that's a 1.2. And we could probably start going into that MOA discussion by using that, Mm -hmm. but we're not doing it enough that often with people that it's catching on. Yeah, I think actually, like when you say that out loud, if you say 0.8, I'm thinking miles per hour. If you mm-hmm. say the target's 0.6, and I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, then my question is, what's the range? Is it close, medium, right, far? Right. If it's medium, 0.6 is six miles an hour. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's far, you know, 0.6 is probably four miles an hour. If it's up close, it's probably eight miles yes. an hour. And I'm thinking miles per hour with tents. But I'm still thinking, oh, 
that size is in inches. Yeah, like when we're out on the range, all that stuff is going through our heads. But then when we verbalize it to each other, we bring it right back to MOA. Yeah, right. We're, right. we're, we're all looking at the wind, the target size. I got this much budget. I got this. I got that. Mm-hmm. You know, I could do this. I could do that. And then I go, hey, that's two MOA target. <laughs> right, right. Why? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's tough though. I think being able to figure out what the language the person you're talking with is speaking, if it's one or the other, mm-hmm. then you can make those conversions. We, but otherwise, this might be the 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 midnight I can't sleep. We we almost need a a dialogue shooter spotter or a dialogue that would now modernize the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So we need to say when we're doing this, we need to go that. So somebody actually needs to go out there and write down what we used to say and how we should say it now and bringing those in in it. We need a script. Mm -hmm. We need a dialogue change script that then people can start referencing to start becoming more and more into our lexicon of saying Mills, saying this, saying that. Because right now we're not doing it. (laughs) But it it doesn't hurt to be able to translate back because the last kind of big precision match I shot was the the very last NRL finale mm-hmm. that was here and there was shooters from South Africa that came and some of them shot MOA and we'd be and I, I had Mills but you know they would say well I, I you know this is the MOA and instantly you think like all right cool like I, that's all you needed to say <laughs> and and that was converting back and forth and I would just convert Mills to MOA while talking and 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 it came up more than once like well are you shooting MOA or Mills like well you're just making the translation um if those conversations could develop and streamline the language, it would make some of this stuff faster to get to the starting line. Well, and, and yes, and, and, and that's where that communication and the way we talk about things like the wind, we'd be helping somebody every time we mentioned the target. Oh, that's a four mile an hour plate. So then right away, somebody knows they, can, they got four miles an hour to mess with. You know, and that's a two mile an hour. Ooh, shit, that's a sporty plate. I only got two miles an hour to get that wind right. Right. You know, and so then you would understand that wind speed component, and now you're feeding someone useful information. That's a two minute plate. Okay. (laughs) Well, if it's at 600 yards, you know it's big. But it's like, but that doesn't help you shoot it really. No. In fact, what just went through my mind when you said that was, if you say it's a two-minute plate, I think craft number, right? And I think, okay, I can shoot two minutes. Yes. Right? Then I think, okay, I can hit that target. The problem is the target's not 100 yards. There's wind to consider. Mm-hmm. So now I have a false level of, of hit expectation that excludes the wind, forgetting that, okay, if I shoot an inch and a half and I'm shooting at a two-minute plate, I have half an inch budget. Yes which is about a mile, less than two miles an hour. It's a mile an it's hour. It's almost a half a, yeah. a wind. Yeah, and, half a mile of wind. Okay, now my hit probability it's just just went, dropped. Right. right, and so we're not talking in those languages and, and, and we're not verbalizing those things like we should to, to um, educate people along the way. Right. We're actually kind of, every time we do it, we're dropping like a lead weight on their back. Like we're hooking a lead weight on them. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to drag you down just a little bit because we're going to talk in a language that we're not really using anymore. Oh, here's another lead weight for you. So you slow you down even a little bit more because now you just backed up 10 years. Right. And my mind's already ahead. And so, yeah, there's this crazy disconnect. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, that's nuts. How that but those standards, I think, are important. And we were talking about that here and talking about other projects for creating standards that can kind of streamline and make well, and that's, the learning curve efficient. I think that's part of the video series we're looking at and some of the things that I wanted to do with you with the video is to go out and to verbalize these things like we do in a podcast, but do them live and have these three or you know anywhere from three to eight minute videos that visualize what we're talking about rather than verbalize it. So we, we go on podcasts, we do this, but now let's take it to the next level and visualize it, put it into a video and show you what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm trying to look at the... Um, no, there's only... Yeah, the comments. Yeah. There's only a couple comments. We didn't make any alerts, so... Uh, it um, does alert, but it's not... Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't post anywhere that... Online. And this is earlier than, than we normally do that. I, I think, but... But I do think that that that's it's cool. It's a big opportunity, but people kind of get stuck in their way. They want to. Well, I've been doing it this way. Why would I want to change it? Right. And I guess eventually, as the community grows, there's all these pack, pockets of people that speak different languages, and and there needs to be. Well, that's exactly it. Because some of us are so old and been doing it for thirty years, the same word over and over and over again. It's it's harder for us to get out of that. Well, then you have new people who are repeating what they hear rather than moving to the new methodology in communication. Mm -hmm. So they're not getting brought up to speed the way they should because we're doing it in the old-fashioned way when we talk because we're used to it. So that's why I kind of think we almost need to either visualize it through video and start letting people see it and hear it mm -hmm. and then starting like having that script going. And so, hey, we need to talk like this. Hey, we need to talk like this. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where my head is at with that. But yeah, I mean, it, it it is neat as hell that we could do that. But dang, yeah. it does. Yeah, it takes that exposure, and then people being able to share the video and say, hey, watch this, because this is how we're going to communicate as a team. If people ask, hey, I'm going to do a team match for the first time. How should we speak to each other? You give them a you give them a dialogue at mm -hmm. first and say, look, try this. You know, this is how we're going to communicate it and see if it works. And if it doesn't, let's refine that that dialogue and script to make it work for you. But a lot of people don't have that to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And you almost need to kind of like have a hand on a shoulder with someone and, and walk through them all, but guide people and like switch off and be like, okay, we're going to go left, we're going to go right, we're going to go... And, and like help direct people so you can communicate. It's like the CD thing when you come up to a match at Competition Dynamics... And you have to have that communication to bring people back to the middle or to help guide them to a plate. So it's like the more you know somebody, the easier it is to guide them in on that. Because now we know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to go to the mound in the middle. Oh, we're going to go to that, you know, however we communicate that bush or that mound or that tree. Well, if I'm coming from an East Coast talk and you're coming from a West Coast Mm -hmm. I can call it one thing and you can call it another. And what are you talking about? I don't see that on there. <laughs> right. And we so, hear that. You hear that on oh, people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, people get in big fights. Yes. Yeah. At a, at, a, at a team safari, we saw a team, be as vague as I can, a team came up and they fought. They went to the next stage. They fought. They went to the next stage. They fought the next morning. They, they were, went home. They went home. <laughs> yes. Because of just that. Like, I can shoot. If you would tell me what fucking target to hit, yeah, and you're like, well, I told you what target to hit. No, you told me the wrong fucking target, or you gave me the wrong range. Like, but yeah, but they're both diamonds, and they're both in front of bushes. <laughs> yes, and and they didn't confirm, you know. And 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 the funny thing is, now a lot of people are introduced to, you know, you're on your own. I can't give you tips. Drop your rifle. Drop your bag. Shoot. Mm -hmm. And then and when for, it's over, <laughs> yeah. And and for like a hundred years, people that were trained as snipers started with. We got to communicate stuff mm -hmm. because somebody's looking and somebody's shooting and somehow, you know, now it's like going back to, shit, we already know this. Yes. You know, let's, let's bring it back and, and, um, and define a language that's still functional despite the fact that a lot's changed. Right. Communication is always going to be important. It is. And, and, and communicate. And that's why I say we almost need a script for dialogues mm -hmm. to help people kind of move forward on the communication because it's two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. We keep playing that game when it comes to communication. Mm -hmm. So, for sure. And, um, yeah, to make a short story super long, if we go back 60, 70, 80, however long years, and you think about how people conversed and the power structure, how much society has changed, like, there's some things that we need to do, like communicate. But we can't always communicate like we did in the past, right? We got to catch up to the lingo. Yeah, and catch yeah, up to yeah, the yeah. Stuff you got to use your pronouns with. now, and, and you know, you mess one up, and the dude at Starbucks can chew you out and throw a coffee at you. Right, right. <laughs> well, like, like, uh, uh, like that show Ghosts. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like the old ghosts communicate so weird, but they're all trying to say the same thing. But we laugh because we're like, oh shit, if we said that now, it'd yeah, be yeah. totally inappropriate. <laughs> and yet we're trying to do that now. Like it's right there. Like. Or you know, it's yeah. in front of the book, or it's MOA, or it's it's something or other. It's like, no, let's let's speak in a way where we can kind of match 
current equipment and standards to our current expectations. Because back then, you know, shooting a 12-inch group was probably effective anyway. So, you know, now that we're talking in... The three-inch group, you know, yeah. Yeah, three-inch or, mm -hmm. or, or whatever. What other topic you got here? I think that's pretty cool. That was a good I one. I kind of go across and then kind of scale mm -hmm. it down. But, um, yeah, see, that kind of grows into that standards of measure. And do we want to know? Yeah, that, I mean, that totally flies into that communication. We're, we're now struggling between two different standards. Mm -hmm. The old standard and the new standard. And we keep mixing and going back in time with that. Right. And then um, shooter is the first source of error. Doesn't know the system. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the, the guys don't know what they don't know. Yeah. I think that um, one thing that's come up a couple of times recently is um, the idea, at least to me, it stood out as something that, that's worth verbalizing in some format, like podcast, video, or, or some other conversation, is that it's not uncommon to hear what happened to the reticle. And you're thinking, okay, I'm paying attention to my reticle and I'm focusing on my reticle and what's the reticle doing. But what that means to me is that you're using a reticle as a visual source of what's the rifle actually doing. Because what, what's really happening when you're paying attention to what the reticle does, right? It should be married up against the thing that you're aiming at. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at the reference of did the reticle move? But more than just did the reticle move, the reticle represents the whole rifle. where the rifle's pointed. Right. And what we're really thinking is the rifle is pointed there and the rifle is moving left and right, not just your reticle. Yes, And yes. I think if we're thinking reticle, 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 I personally notice that when I think, what's the reticle, what's the reticle doing versus the reticle's telling me what the rifle's it's doing. Because it's bolted together. Yeah, if that's I, a oh, great way. I never thought of that. The rifle... Is oh, doing and if the rifle's now pointed here, it's not just the reticle because the reticle's like, oh, okay, I know how to make that correction. Mm -hmm. My rifle literally moved, and yep, it that's so common sense, and it's sitting right there. But recently, because we've been talking about it, oh, what's the reticle doing? Or, or pay attention to your reticle. And I tell people, pay attention to your reticle, I want you to measure it. Well, they measure it, and they're like, okay, my reticle's not moving much. And then you look at their groups and their groups, you know, and, and try and say, look, look, your reticle moved, your group changed. Your reticle moved, your group changed. It's yes. like, yeah, your reticle is a representation of the barrel mm -hmm. and the rifle. And well, the rifle moved and they go, oh, okay. That's recoil management. Yeah. Recoil management tells the bullet where the barrel is on release. Mm -hmm. So where that barrel is on release of the bullet and like you said, we think of it as the reticle doing that. That's the tip of your barrel doing that. Exactly. Yes. And, and I never really kind of even verbalized it that way as you just did it. But it is so common sense that people will come up to you and say, my reticle jumped, my this jumped, my that jumped. Your rifle jumped. So you're not managing the recoil correctly and you're not either married up to that rifle holding against the bipod and doing your recoil. But it all comes down to that recoil management and it's interesting too how with like Roberts and the Army and Rance and those guys, the CR2 guys, because Chris Rance is kind of the guy who redid the Army manual. Over the years when they rewrote the Army manual and they brought, they, they, everybody, like the Army doesn't do fundamentals. The Army does shot process. They put recoil management in there as part of their fundamental. And it makes sense. Because you have to manage that recoil regardless of where you are. Mm -hmm. Position, tripod, how's that recoil look? You know, is it straight? Is it sideways? Is it arching? And then the same thing, where's your reticle? So if you think about your reticle as being the tip of your barrel, that's showing you how much movement you're inducing into your rifle. Yeah. yeah. It's easy to disconnect. Like, okay, I saw my reticle move, you know, here. I saw my reticle. But, but just thinking about it in terms of that's your rifle pointing there mm-hmm okay now my rifles pointed there mm-hmm and and that could help kind of think more holistically about your effect on the whole rifle versus all right my reticle went to the right yeah whatever yeah 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 big uh, yeah, it went two mils over i'll follow it up yeah yeah whatever. but yeah so now your reticle's pointing two mils away from the target yeah. your rifle rather now your rifle is pointing two mils away from the target that's significant mm-hmm 
you know? Recoil management. Mm -hmm. All right, check this out. I had this idea. I'm going to bring the spotter scope. Do you have a pen or a pencil? Yeah, I can get a pen real quick. This 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 might cause people to get like freaked out a little bit and, and will cause an internet fight. But uh, I'm going to um, I'm just pull up the chat there. All right, check it out. This is going to be our paper? rifle. Oh, no, no, I'm just gonna put this here, and I'm gonna start. I'm gonna say, all right, this is a rifle, and I'm a shooter, and I'm putting force on my rifle system, and I want this to to follow this line. I'm gonna put it here on the line of the box, and yet I'm connected to it, mm -hmm. and I'm anticipating it's gonna shoot back, right? Because if it shoots, equal and opposite energy is gonna move it back a little bit. So, what do people do? Well. They push into it, and I bet everyone can relate to getting behind the rifle prone, and it starts sliding. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're pushing forward, and I've, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm pushing straight, but can I can I push this straight down the line? It's already off the line. Mm -hmm. Can I push this straight? Yeah, you're trying to correct it. And, and I'm trying to push it, and it's sliding, okay? Mm -hmm. So first of all, if you're pushing a rifle, this is, this is just my... Uh, hypothesis, I guess, or, or, or um, theory, but not, you know, not theory, like, theory, theory, but theory, like, it's my idea. I think if you're pushing forward with the amount of force that'll actually move your rifle forward, you've exceeded the amount of the contact right. that's necessary to absorb recoil. If I, if I put my arm on you, if you, if, if you're pushing into me or I'm pushing into you, enough to move you yes i'm adding error right because if i try to push this straight down the line i can't keep it straight but i could put enough to just barely move it and then hold it there and if it moves back it's not really going to move i mean my tissue is going to compress compress a little bit but that's not i can't compensate for that without changing where this is pointed so pu push on something like a pencil and try to keep it perfectly straight and Versus just enough to keep that contact. If you had more, it would move, but it doesn't. If I back off it, it's going to move back. And if it and if it moves back, it's not pointed as straight as it was. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I think to me, it's figuring out okay, where would it move? And now shoot it. So I'm not pushing it. But if right. Well, we've it, done you that can for see people. The radical go crazy. So, so there are some people who their bodies aren't kind of straight, and you see it sometimes with lefties. So if you think about, we do this with canting as well. So if you think about getting somebody straight and square behind the rifle, and then it still jumps off on them, sometimes we overcompensate them a little bit, and then it doesn't jump away from them. Well, we have lefties a lot who they are heavy headed. We call them people are heavy headed. They have a loose bipod. And their rifle's always on an angle like it's at 1 o'clock like this, right? So now what I want to do is I want to tighten their bipod at 11. Mm -hmm. So then when they push into it, they're at 12. Because when I have them at 12 and they push in, they're at 1. And now they can't the rifle. So what I have to do with that person is take their bipod, can't it at 11, because I know when their head attaches, it's going to be at 12. So the same thing we do, I've done the same thing, and Jacob's done it, we talk about it all the time, is that sort of that 6, 12 o'clock position for your rifle up on there, well, maybe we need to move you a little bit off mm -hmm. and prevent the rifle from jumping on you because if we put you straight, it still jumps. But if I can't you the wrong way a little bit, it stays straight. Right, right, right. So I think... Would you yes. Do this? Well, I was thinking equal and opposite. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that, that I, I like and don't like about that, right? This is just a chassis. It's a, um, so I don't flag it. What is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you flag me. <laughs> um, if, if I have, let's say I'm putting it in my shoulder like some people like to do. If, if it moves this way, it, right, I can, I can move so that it comes straight back. Mm -hmm. And you can make those adjustments. The thing is, if it goes like this and moves this way, and I put something up here to push it back... Now there's two areas yes. that I have to manage equally all the time to do it right. And that's that's more opportunity to not be consistent. What what it kind of comes down to is some people's straight body recoils weird. Mm -hmm. And then if you turn them, then they recoil straight. So what happens is, is their body doesn't recoil like this. They kind of recoil like that. And so I'll turn them 
So now they recoil straight. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're talking about with that is moving their body just a little. And it's only like one of every 15 people you run into it. It's not that often that, but lefties and can't, I've definitely moved um, as far as the canting goes. But I, what I'm talking about is to prevent it from jumping. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a one out of 15 person where they just don't recoil straight even when they're straight. But if I tilt them a little bit, then they recoil straight. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, with making compensations if the person understands we're adding something that you have yes. to maintain consistently. It's an so individual if, thing. If, if this rifle, I'm going to be like this, and let's say that when I shoot it, it goes here. Or, or, um, or, or, or it comes in here. Let's say I shoot it and it does this. And so... I know, okay, now I have to put my face here, and now it can't do this, it shoots fine. Okay, cool, but now this has to be the same as this. Every time, right. Every time, and under stress, yes, it's harder to manage equal and, inputs. And those are where their new shooters, when they get better, you hope they start to get straighter and more comfortable, and they're not fighting the recoil and they're more relaxed. Mm -hmm. And that might go away with mm -hmm. repetition. But in the beginning, the new shooters, they're tight. And they're holding themselves and they're putting pressures on places that they shouldn't be. And that might be one of the reasons why. I mean, it could be just an elbow and arm is off and we just don't realize it. And that's when usually Mark sees a lot of the dipping. We, when we see what's going on here, usually tells the tale. So if we look right here on a person, you can almost tell. And if you fix that, then that normally will fix a lot of the other things. So the biggest issue we see is lefties. Lefties are the ones you have to kind of... Is even lefties with a left bolt? Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. The left, Most lefties are crooked to begin with. It's very hard to find a, a lefty who's straight. Now, today, we see a lot more lefties are straight because they're seeing a lot more people um, uh, doing it. You know what I mean? So the lefties don't come up. But lefties are the biggest hard part. Tuesday. Well, yeah. So, but but anyway, I think that that input output, the fundamentals, the what are we compensating for, and can we do it consistently? And as you get better, you're going to change it, right? Mm -hmm. That person mm -hmm. might eventually loosen their input, and now they're throwing shots because their compensation is the the one, and this one's backing off. You're more relaxed. You're more accustomed to the stress that you put yourself in. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, somebody that's never been in a competition, they say, "Time starts now." That clock is a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. Somebody oh, that time. competes a lot, mm -hmm. they hear the beep and they're like, "I still okay, get I know butterflies on the first stage." I do too. Yeah, yeah. But I think that you can. Mm -hmm. I think there are people that can get used to that one stress, right? And not have the same reaction where you put them in a new stress. All of a sudden, they're acting like they did as a beginner again and managing those inputs. And and I think that's one of the reasons why the heavier rifle and the you know almost the free recoil kind of technique of the less I touch the rifle, the less error I'm going to induce. The problem is... Well, four chamber breaks, too. Specific, yeah, there has to be a specific set of conditions mm -hmm. that you can shoot a rifle like that, and that might not translate out of there. Right, so, right. Um, and then the inputs that we have depend on how you shoot. If you put the rifle midline, you, you needed to think about this, but if you're, if you're putting it into your shoulder... Uh, it's different. You got different length of pull. You've got different body angle, right? You're not mm -hmm. gonna if if you're not gonna be straight if it's in your shoulder here, because right, you know, you're gonna have to turn. And so I think anatomically, you just need to think about the um, the way that your body's well put and, and together. You know what, Anna? We always get that where guys will come in and show up, and then the, and then they go, but I have a neck fuse. An injury, and it's like, dude, you're completely different. You you, you can't put. You're you're a verified medical problem. You have vertebrae fused, yeah. and then you're saying, well, I can't do that. Well, of course you can't do that. <laughs> right. You know, you have to find another solution. You know, it, it's like I'm not talking to the guy with the fused vertebrae. You know, and it, it's the same thing. You know, there's the beer belly guy who has the like. The, the gut that sticks out, like their chest is in, their gut comes out, prone's not for them. 
they they they're on the beach and it's now it's it we get it. It's just their body type where it didn't sort of go around. It goes out, and it's like well you have to compromise that where a bench or something else is better for you or a tripod type of situation. You would work towards the tripod and I would just never shoot prone and always be shooting off the tripods and stuff. And then you can kind of do really well, but it's like your body's outside normal. You know, maybe you're normal in society, but in shooting in a, in a sport, you're not running what a sportsman's body. Mm-hmm. And so we have to compensate that. And, and to me, it's weird when people don't recognize their own sort of like lack of a better word, glaring limitation. And then they come to you like in, I get not knowing, but it's like you do recognize you have this limitation, right? And they, <laughs> and they don't. And that's a kind of a weird thing with me. My mom says I'm perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's not a bad thing. We can fix, we can come up with that. And nowadays, like in Alaska, we proactive those things because we have purpose-built benches that are there. We have things like the hunting rifle. If, if you, sh- you could be fit as hell. If you show up in Alaska with one of those pencil-thin hunting rifles with a scope slammed as low as possible, I'm going to put you on a bench. Because you can't get behind that rifle prone correctly. It's too close. Your head is... You're almost like this. You almost have to bend your body up. Where if I put you on a bench and I lay you over because our benches are square... And they have a stop in the front for your bipod that's adjustable. If I can put you two elbows on the bench with the stop for your bipod, because we have this purpose-built bench, you're going to be more comfortable. You're going to get more of that hunting rifle. And then when you go out in the woods and you go, bang, it's going to work for you. But if I proned you and then you go and do this, it's not going to work. And so that's kind of one of those things we've, proactively done same thing with older men we get somebody who's you know 72 years old we're not going to start off putting him prone we're going to put him on a bench because he's going to be more comfortable we're going to give him a chair we're going to let him sit down in between stuff then when it's his turn he stands up both elbows on the bench he shoots he sits back down that guy's comfy and he's on alert he's not thinking about his neck the entire time He's not bitching because he's uncomfortable. He's not being forced to lay down when laying down on his belly hurts. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of those little things that are body type and personality type that have to be addressed with this because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it is cars. It's our seats and mirrors in our car and our seats and mirrors are different for everybody. Yeah. It hurts my back now to lay down pro. Right, right. So, okay, so screwing with this, one thing that came up when we shot our live, because you know I shot the standing bag mm-hmm. tripod, and it's been posted. People actually asked me a question like, why when I was standing upright, did what you know did did I say oh my shot went low because I was trying to get up high, and 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 I want to point something out here, the the butt pad placement, um, I think that. This is gonna eventually get to that, but let's say you know you're just setting up your butt pad, and you think, okay, I want it to be in line with this, and you you put it up to your shoulder. Um, I'm gonna face this way. Yeah, that's a prone right um, there. And I and I do this, and I'm trying to stick it on my collarbone, and it doesn't, right? So I get it to just hook or something like this. I'm making this up. There's there's a, if I put my finger down here, which is what I do to myself, I'll put my finger on my collarbone, and I'll do this, and I'll say, oh my gosh. Everything above this is unsupported. So if there's force of any type, where's the rifle going to move? Well, it's probably not going to push my collarbone back. It's probably going to do this. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have to, but if it's going to move, I would gamble that it's either going to be okay or it's going to pull. It's going to go up because yeah. there's no support up here, right? This Wait, it's, a, it's a button. Oh yeah. On the side. This now, this one that's standing. Sitting and kneeling is neutral, and that's prone. That's how these are supposed to go, is standing so you can get your toe, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. and then sitting and kneeling, 
and then prone. Yeah, I think, but but I think that that you know if you think about it, yeah. For support, but when you're in prone, you're, prone, you're up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but then when you stand, that has to come down. And, and yeah, and this is kind mm-hmm. of standing standing posture, right? So I think yeah. if, if if you're struggling to get it onto you, and you do this, and you look, and you say, okay, well, if I have a tendency of shooting high when I'm standing like this, it might not be the position. Mm-hmm. It might not be any. It it might simply be the fact that you're creating a lever where the the only way the rifle's gonna be able to move easily. There's a, a guy did a tipping up three physics videos on that and shows the force and did all the math for all of it. And there's these like um, uh, vector image videos on the hide, like well, the science of recoil management. And this guy from Everybody Talking did uh, videos that show exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, so if I so if I move it down and I do this now, I purchase a check my collarbone I go oh shit it's right here in the middle that's something that in the past I'd point out if the if the buttstocks are really curved and you have you know contact on this curved part chances are it's going to slip down into the point of least resistance and if it some of these well, that's why I turned upside very, down too totally yeah I, but, but you've seen it mm-hmm. right and you've felt it and you've thought what what is that so then you mm-hmm. flip it upside down and you turn it but the the flatter this is I think from a centerline shooting perspective, the flatter it is, the less of an effect. You know, you want it centered and yes. flat so that the recoil comes in. I think the curved stuff is when you're putting it in your shoulder. That was totally a throwback. Like it's a uh, that's way more. Comfortable. I mean, when we shoot across our body, then that contours to our muscle, right? So it's kind of like this that contour that these have, and it contours to our muscle when we're here, but we don't shoot that way anymore right. we shoot this way now uh-huh. and so here is flatter and really it's just a gentle slope and it should be kind of consistent but on an angle mm-hmm. yeah and you can feel it just put your mm-hmm. if you put your finger there and just do a little force up and down that that skin you can feel it it's very easy to get it to move yeah. up and down yeah. so it doesn't take much to have a small effect of the buttstock i, I mean I, I shoot my carbine in my shoulder because I think optimally we want our arms at this 90 degree angle. You know, I think that, that our elbows and the musculature that bridges this, I think that um, 80 to 100 degrees is kind of an optimal angle in your elbow for, for the musculature that's happening. So if you've got arms that are at 90 degrees to each other and you're holding a carbine that's heavy, this is going to have better muscle support because this is at 90 100 degrees is at 80 degrees. This is at 100 degrees. I'm not going to shake as much. But to keep my arms at these angles has to go sideways. Mm-hmm. And my eye now is in line by, by turning it to the left here. So I think that, that when it comes to that, but, but, in, in, but otherwise, because I can't keep my arms at 90 degrees right, here right. anymore because it's even all the way back, this arm is not optimal. You'll see my arm will fatigue. Well, that's just gonna say, don't the Europeaners are in tight mostly at the magwell because it's less effort to hold in, hold out. Seat and clamp. Yeah, and you're not gonna, yeah. you're not gonna shake. Yeah. So you got ninety degree, ninety degree. You're not gonna shake, and then the pitch of the the pitch is gonna be. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got up down, it's gonna be where you put it here. And if it's going to be left and right, it's going to be where that elbow angle is. And you can replicate that very quickly with your elbow angle and where that index is into your shoulder. And um, it's not going to shake well, just, as much as, as from a TV this. Per, you're gonna, you're from gonna a TV perspective, if you watch the, the American shows, the Navy SEAL ones, those stuff like CBS, the big things, they see clamping, they're big, and they're doing, they'll come in the rooms and they're see clamping and all that. If you watch the Strike Backs show, which is written by the SAS guys, they're all at the Magwell tight. So the SAS guys are all doing their shit where they're training people. And if you look, who's the advisors? It's the U.S. advisors versus the Brit advisors. One guy's tight, one guy's out. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just funny how the techniques kind of play that way. I'd be curious, like just just from you know what what I know about how your body works. I mean, it, if you could punch it out and shoot and, and come back, come back you're, you're not holding it out very long. But how much they weigh and how long they really are and what the angle, how long can you hold that mm-hmm. rifle 
it depends on how much it weighs. Are right. the rifles that we're shooting, our bullet guns, they just weigh too much to walk around like this. I tell like, you, I... You're going to shake like crazy. And then, you mm-hmm. know, if I'm shaking like crazy, we better be really fucking close. Like, doing... <laughs> like, Vickers' class wasn't as bad because he's a marksmanship guy, but, like, the class that pressed it for me was Pat Rogers. My arms were jelly. They were noodles. And I didn't think I had what would be considered a heavy AR. It was an M4. Pat Rogers' class nuked my arms, where after that, it was like, give me the lightest AR on the planet. I want the Christian Arms, Kyle Lamb, seven-pound AR, and nothing more. It's got to be carbon fibered out and done to do any of those classes that are like the 1,500 rounds in two days. Because your arms are jelly. Yeah. And I mean, granted, you're going to develop muscles to be mm-hmm. able to do that. But I don't want my arms in here. No. And I, But I don't want my arms out here either. Right. You know, I want to be in the optimal position, which I think is pretty close to 90 degrees. So if you're holding up a rifle, I think it makes a lot of sense to hold it left of center enough to be able to maintain anatomical... Yeah, it's crazy. Anatomical kind of dynamic adjustability... And you're not going to shake as much Mm-mm. in the first place, and then I mean, you know, and then it takes a lot of reps. So, uh, but 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 I think with this, to to go back to the original point, um, I think that looking at how it's set up isn't oh the internet told me to put it here. It's what did your body tell you? If I put it here and I put you know that point of contact is on the bottom of my butt pad, it's not set up right. appropriately, right? And you're like, okay, well you're standing up, put it down as low as possible. Then it turns out that, or if you shoot right and you're like, wow, that shot felt really good. And before you get off it, you figure out where you were touching and and you go, I'll be damned. Mm -hmm. That time I was square behind my butt pad. Right. And the other times I was, or I was climbing up over it and, and it felt weird and I lost my sight picture. Well, yeah, because when it recoiled, you smushed your bag (laughs) and your body sank into the thing. And, 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 and when we saw it, you went like this, not like that. Right. So, so I think that there's ways to kind of reverse engineer setup, but it comes down to setting it up for your body, mm-hmm. not just because. And, and honestly, that's why I like doing sort of the fundamental side of things and doing the higher level things because it lets the individual determine what works best for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, how does that feel? Let's get you to where you can feel that. And, and not, now let's not go with you must do this. It's we're looking for this outcome. We're looking for the recoil to come back on target. We're looking for these different things to happen. And that lets you figure it out. Yeah. And what works for you. Right. Rather than, we, I mean, people will assume you dictate a lot or we dictate, you know, not you, me, whoever, but they assume someone's dictating something. But really, if you get down to it, when we're talking high level fundamentals, when we're talking certain things we're talking, we're not really dictating. And then even on the fundamental side, the army went to the shot process because they don't want to be held to a box. Mm-hmm. Well, on the Marine Corps side, we still have indexing and trading off. You index on the fundamentals you can control, you trade off on the ones you can't. So if you're compromised in a fundamental, I just ran a mile, I'm breathing heavy. Well, I want to index on my trigger control because I know I'm breathing heavy. I want to make sure my MPA is good because I'm moving, because I'm breathing heavy. So it's those type of things, but that's that missing part of the equation. So it's like, okay, let's just do shot process because we don't want to keep go into the index and trade off because that's a whole nother thing. But if I give you shot process, I'm telling you to be open, but if I do fundamentals, that's telling you to be rigid, mm-hmm. but it's not. Right. You know, it's telling you to be fundamental to you. You know, we, we don't tell somebody what they have to do for their car. But everybody sets their seats and mirrors up. That works for them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's it's that type of attitude, I guess, or that kind of thought process that we need to make more uh, acceptable or more understood within the community. Because mm-hmm. we hear a lot of shit. People mm-hmm. talk a lot. Yeah. Look at us. We're Let's talking. see. Fundamental connections. Where's the reticle? Okay, we are talking about influence. Um, uh, no. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Okay, so so then I put here that that you know techniques are, are greater than equipment at this point. I think that, that that's not always true, right? But we have equipment that's really good, and at some point you have to kind of say, I have the equipment. I you know, this is good equipment. Yes. I need to develop the technique to match my equipment, and it's not uncommon for somebody to say, "Well, my rifle outshoots me, so I'm not worried." You know what's a good example of that is that Springfield you have that Wayfair, mm-hmm. or is that what it's called? Way, uh, waypoint. 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 The waypoint that you break that, and, and I saw a couple over at Mile High uh, yesterday, kind of remind me of them. You go in there and shoot that thing fine, and and do stuff. Now you're not whiz bang with it. You're not. But when you run up and work on it and, and work with it, you can see those elements of your recoil management and all that come into that rifle. Mm-hmm. You would not be limited by that, but you would want to maybe add an arc or rail to it or do that. But that's not a huge modification. Mm-mm. Very easy to do. I think that, that, yeah, you need to be able to say, all right, now I have the good equipment. How do I bring my fundamentals, right, my right. skills, and my knowledge back up to that equipment? Well, I mean, even it could be even the case of like that that waypoint. It's still a barreled action. There's nothing that can say you buy that rifle and then six months down the road save up and get a more PRSC type chassis, mm-hmm. and then say I'm going to go practice it and pull it out of the stock and put it in the chassis, shoot it up a little bit, and then put it back in. I'm it. it there are budget people who I think could look at, get a good torque wrench, understand you can pull that guy apart, and then move it. I mean, you could probably even get a, a Magpul stock. And yeah, I don't know what it... I no, I mean, but there's people who compete with the Magpuls because they're flat in the front. They're hyper-adjustable. They have the M-lock system, and you can weight them and do whatever. I mean, Ryan Hay competes with a Magpul, mm-hmm. and he competes all the time. Yeah. So... Like at that, you can have like that stock in your waypoint and, and move them together. Totally. Yeah. Then the waypoints aren't, they're not, they're not, they're not kind of ent- bottom level, entry level rifles. They're, they're still that in that production it, class oh, 2000. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But that yeah. production class $2,000 rifle, there's no reason you can't take a $2,000 rifle down the road, put a thousand dollar, buy a thousand dollar chassis. And then swap them, move them back and forth, right. and, and make it a little bit more. I, I want to back up just to ask you about, a lot of people like shooting prone. Mm-hmm. And prone's not my primary interest, but I think it's interesting. And I think there's a huge influence on your that your elbows have, because yeah. you have support with the ground. Can, can you talk about like the relationship of elbows? I, I, I go to the little kids, man, and I brought this up a bunch. We don't have to tell kids how to today watch their computer laying on the floor. So if they put an iPad or a laptop on the floor and they sit on their elbows, that's the height you need to be. Mm-hmm. So your chest, to get your head on your elbows kind of like right here, that's your height. So if I was laying up, we just lost one. It just, one hour in, it just did a, it's gonna bleep, bleep. It, I'm going in. It just did a blip. There it didn't it came back now. Okay. It just came back. I can't talk right now. Alright, yeah, there it is. It's back. So yeah, that so we had our first glitch. So about an hour in, we end up getting a glitch. Okay. But anyway, so up on your elbows. Uh, with little kids, and that's where I want to be, where my height. So if I laid on the floor, got up on my elbows, that's the height I want to be for prone. And then, um, I don't know who that is. Uh, and then uh, for the pressure to the rear, the weight of the rifle, like you were saying, just the weight of the rifle. So if I held the rifle in my hand and lifted it up, the weight of the rifle is how far back into my shoulder pocket that I want to pull it. Now, if it's a lighter, heavier Magnum hunting rifle, we increase that, of course. So the bigger Magnums need more purchase on your chest or on in, in, in the um, uh, stock. You need a little bit more recoil management. But for a normal rifle, weight of the rifle is how much weight I bring back into the shoulder. Gotcha. So. And you pull it back? Mm-hmm. Yes, back into the shoulder pocket. Because I want that. I don't want to give the rifle a running start. Now, I'm not death 
I'm not trying to drive the rifle through my shoulder. I'm married up, and I have about the weight of the rifle pressure on it. Gotcha. What I do is I just I arch up and put it put yeah. it into my shoulder, and then I drop down, and it slides. And, and but I don't. Pull that's back. what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I am doing that, but I'm holding it there. It's not so much. I I do that. I I come up high. I marry up, and then I do the pinch, and that's giving me. But I'm still keeping it there with that pressure. So I'm not letting it relax. I guess is what I what I should be saying. So once I do the wedge, mm-hmm. then I don't let it relax. Gotcha. gotcha. And, and and so that would be a better way of describing it for somebody. But I do come up high, and that does my recoil management in one shot. Gotcha. So what I'm doing when you come up high. You're dragging your belt forward about an inch. And then when you drop down, you're pinning your belt in the rifle between the bipod. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good reference. Yeah. Recoil management comes from your core, not from your shoulders. So I say it's your belt line. You're pulling your belt line forward about an inch. And that's stacking the weight behind the rifle. And then when you drop down, like I said, I'm just maintaining at that point, mm-hmm. really. But that's how much pressure it is. It's about the weight of the rifle. Mm-hmm. So, I think that um, just to, I don't even know if this is going to be totally relevant, but when you're when you're prone and your elbows are on the ground, that's that's an anchor point that that's transferring everything to the ground from mm-hmm. gravity. So the only influence that this hand's going to really have is from the hand. But if if your elbow comes off the ground. Now it has to be, your body has to support your limbs and our shoulders are weird. Um, At one point I talked about this on on the straight dope, but our our arms and shoulders are floating, right? You hunters know that when you cut the the Mm. forelimbs off of an animal, there's not much to, you just cut the soft tissue and and there's a little joint right here that, that... isn't hard to break, but, but that's it. Everything else is soft tissue. So, and which, which for us means muscular tension. So if, if, if my elbow is on something, it doesn't take any muscular tension to keep my arm here because my legs supporting my elbow. But if, if, if I'm going to exaggerate this a little bit, but if I take my elbow off my knee, I add tension. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm exaggerating. Yeah, I want to. I'm like this is my workspace, right? It's like hinged at the elbow, and and like this is my movement. Mm-hmm. So I'm pinned, and I want everything I'm gonna operate to be within the sweep of my arms. Mm-hmm. So if you pin your arms and sweep them, that's as big as my workspace is for me because my arms are shorter. Right. Yeah. Totally. And I, and then I think that replicating force like this is a lot easier to do. Versus replicating force while you're simultaneously holding up your arm mm-hmm. with without adding extra tension, it's very hard to keep your shoulders relaxed and do stuff with your arm under tension. You know, because I mean, think about like people say, "Oh, I had a stressful something or other, and my neck hurts." Mm-hmm. Because under stress, we're, we're tensing all sorts yeah. of things, and, and then now you think like. How is this going to affect my shooting? It's it's not going to be good. No, they and usually if your neck hurts, you're too low on your bipod because you're you're like you said you're mushing your neck down and you're trying to look kind of up through your eyes because you're too low. So everybody crank their bipod down and then they're kind of looking up or turning their head and then it hurts right here. Where if you're up and natural like watching TV on the floor, it doesn't hurt. Right, right. So I think those are things that are worth paying attention mm-hmm. to. That you want to have as much support from. You know, they say bone support. Like, Yeah, that's I, this. I don't, that was that instead of that. Right. So that's not bone support. That's muscle. That's bone. Right, right. And, and depending on, like we're explaining the same thing, but, but bone support means lack of muscular tension. Mm-hmm. And, but if you say, oh, you know, relax. Like that yeah. <laughs> usually people don't relax. Like, well, what? What yeah, are you yeah. talking about? What? But, but we're talking about the same thing. Like the, if, if, if shit's laying on something supported by gravity it's going to have a better chance of being relaxed and then you'll be able to be more consistent over time. And, and granted there's, you know, I got bolts in my neck too. So I'll, I'll tilt my head forward in a way because parts of it aren't as flexible. Um, but, but yeah, always looking for that muscular support. And if you have to be standing and you can't support your elbows on something, trying to focus on, Dropping your shoulders mm-hmm. will drop your elbows, and then you'll be pulling on the system less. Or you could hang on. I like to hang on to the tripod 
and then relax. Yeah, I just relax my arm there too, same thing. But if you watch somebody's shoulders and elbows, if they come up, there's problems, right? Or so, so, so rotating out and sitting down is gonna, is gonna be good. Uh, but all those signs of tension are gonna be things that are very hard to replicate and that difficulty replicating it is gonna translate to point of impact differences between where you think your reticle was because of recoil management. And that recoil management is, you're gonna see a picture of that downrange in the difference in where you aimed and where the bullet went. And, and um, you know, all those things are always kind of sticking together as, you, yeah. as you're learning. And having a separate set of eyes look is, is super helpful. Oh, definitely. Cool, man. We did the hour. Uh, we could probably, with the podcast, I think we got a lot of good information on the podcasty stuff. Mm-hmm. So you guys are good there. We'll kill you podcasty guys.